Hey, everybody, and welcome to the HRO Growth Show, where we believe that PEOs and HROs are the best kept secrets of small business success, that there's plenty of opportunity for all of them, and every reason to grow. I'm your host, Ryan McInerney, and with me, as always, is Brandon Laws. And today, we're joined by Brad Adams, who's a senior master sales trainer at Sales Gravy, the sales acceleration company. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Hey, Brandon, this is episode eight for us today. We're in season one. This guest here that's joining us is a pretty big deal. Brad Adams, uh, you and I have met each other a couple of times. We've worked together within the PACE relationship in the workshop. I've also been able to develop a relationship with uh, Jeb Blunt over there at Sales Gravy. And from what I understand, you've got some background in working with HROs. I'd love for our listeners just to hear a little bit about some of the work you've done. You can leave the brand names uh, off if you like, but I'd love for everybody to hear just a little bit of your background in sales and how you help HROs. Sure. So let's start with the background in sales. I've been in sales since I was in my early 20s. And I guess if you if you consider the candy bars I sold for my baseball team and so forth, I've probably been in sales since I was 12. Since I've joined Sales Gravy in 2011, I've had the privilege and honor to work alongside of Jeb Blunt, who is a best-selling author and has now 11 sales books in print, as he just had a release yesterday. It's been a wonderful ride. I'm in front of sales teams all over the world, coaching, training, delivering keynotes, delivering sales training, working with sales teams in an integrated partnership way. With the HR space, I've been able to work with the with the Pace PEO group and uh, and a couple of independent companies. And it's just a great space. It's a it's a space that allows companies to to get big boy benefits when they're a small to mid-sized company, which allows them to compete in a market when it's really hard to hire people. So I, I think it's a great cause. It's a great system that they have and, and just really excited to be working with, with those types of companies. Well, thanks for giving us that introduction, Brad. That, that's really helpful for everybody to listen to. So I'm just going to come right out the gate. If anybody, if anybody's familiar with Sales Gravy and they're familiar with Jeb Blunt, then one of the number one top selling books out of those 11 you mentioned is Fanatical Prospecting. There's a bunch of other good ones out there. People buy you, Sales EQ, but within Fanatical Prospecting, one of the leading things that Jeb advocates for, and I know it's something that you guys teach, is cold calling. And this seems to be flying in the face of the fact that I I think if you were to go to Google right now and I theorize you type in cold calling is, one of those autocompletes is going to be dead. That is definitely the message out there is that cold calling is dead. You're hearing this come out of just about every stage across America. All the sales gurus with their latest books are advocating for why you don't need to do cold calling, why prospecting, doing it that way is completely dead. Other organizations talk about inbound only, but you guys continue to preach and evangelize cold calling. And I would love to understand why. I love that segue. And first of all, for any of my competitors out there that are listening to this, I hope that you guys believe that cold calling is dead because it makes it easier for us to win. At the end of the, at, at the, end of the day, to get a new customer, you have to interrupt a stranger's life. And then you have to get a discovery call where you, where you ask them a bunch of questions. And it's just a weird process when you think about it. Obviously, it's, it's helpful when there's some familiarity, when marketing helps, when you do some social media. But we talk about a completely holistic all-in approach of leveraging all our methodology, leveraging all of our channels, the phone call, the voicemail, the email, the LinkedIn, the text messaging, the in-person prospecting, if we do that too. 
But it's all about win probability. And if I touch people enough, I'm going to become familiar. And if I leave a voicemail, if I leave an email, my, my familiarity is going to start increasing. And it, prospecting is twofold. It is about getting an appointment so that we can do discovery. And it's about building familiarity in anticipation of a future buying window. That's all it is. We're learning things so that we can be better with our next call or we're getting an appointment on this call. Cold calling is not dead. I've made a living out of cold calling. I've made a living out of teaching cold calling. I've helped companies. I've helped the military. I've helped you name it, enhance their pipelines and enhance the top of their pipeline with calling and interrupting strangers. And if you look at the inbound component, People throw their hands up and they say, I want to talk. And then you call them five minutes later and they say, I'm not interested. It's crazy. So obviously, there's a familiarity effect with the fact that they downloaded a white paper, they joined a webinar, whatever. But at some point, you have to be a sales rep and you have to do your job. So cold calling is not dead. I appreciate that. That's, that's a compelling statement. Now, one of the things you mentioned was that you, you've built a career on this, right? And I know some other guys that also built their career on cold calling. Is cold calling today the same thing that it was 10 years ago? Is there anything that's changed or evolved or become different now? Or is it the same thing and people are just less inclined towards it because there's something else that's going on? I think obviously cold calling is changing. The whole sales world is changing because... Companies can do a lot of research on you without you even knowing it before you ever contact them. And because of that, the part that changes is the messaging. The, we have to, to do a good job. We have to immerse ourselves into our prospect shoes and we have to think about the emotional triggers that would compel them to trade their most precious resource, which is time so that they can, they can join a call with us. There's got to be a with them. There's got to be a what's in it for me. There's got to be some compelling reason that they would want to to have a conversation with a stranger. So to that point, we need to be more savvy with our messaging and we need to be better with understanding our prospects' unique world and their unique situation. And if we can do that, we can get appointments. But the part that hasn't changed is sales is a numbers game. We talk about the more you prospect, the luckier you get. And I can think of just just tons and tons of, of case studies and facts and backgrounds to, to back that up. In fact, b- back in October, I was so busy. I was, I was event to event to event to event. And I, I stopped prospecting, which, which is terrible. I, I teach it. I, I, I demand it of, of the people that I work with. And I stopped prospecting. And exactly the point when I stopped prospecting, my pipeline started drying up. Mm-hmm. The people who I'd already introduced myself to stopped taking my calls. And when I started prospecting again, the world got right. So we sort of tongue in cheek talk about the sales gods, but it's true. The more you prospect, the luckier you get. You get those magic emails that say, I'm interested. You get those magic emails for the referrals of people that you talked to years ago that introduced you to their friends. Um, and it's just a fact. The more activity that you do, the more conversations with strangers you're going to have. Yeah, Brad, and that's, that's a great segue into the accountability piece. When you're coaching either sales leaders or sales teams, you talk about it being a numbers game. So how's, how are you supposed to keep salespeople accountable to those daily activities? If cold calling is not dead, 
you expect them to be cold calling on a daily basis. You do not want the pipeline to dry up. How do you make sure that they're doing it? And then also proving the effectiveness of, of their strategies. One of the things that we see all the time is that the most impactful thing that you can do as a sales leader is to be present. And I know that sounds really simple and overly easy, but so many times we come into companies where the sales leaders are pulled in 500 different directions and they meeting their salespeople to death. They, they're just meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. At the end of the day, they come in and they scream at their sales team because their sales team's not doing enough. And then they go back into meetings for the next day. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. If they want to impact their sales team, they simply have to be present. And when they're present, the sales team has a tendency to do the right things. When I'm on site with clients, a lot of times, if I see a sales rep not doing what their job is, I'll just, I'll just sit down next to them and, and, and start playing on my phone or, or just, just looking at them. And when you look at somebody, they feel that worry and they, and they start to get on the phone and they start to do their thing or they start to make a, a phone call or they start to, to do sales activities to fill the top of the funnel. So, so being present with your sales team intentionally is a big deal. We talk about blocking time. So sales reps need to block time so that they can do prospecting activity. They can do sales activity. They can do meetings and discovery calls. Well, leaders need to block their time too so that they can be present with their sales team. We have to balance being present and at the same time, not be the chief problem solver. We have to enable our salespeople to do what they need to do but also help them make better decisions so that we don't have to solve every single problem for them. So as a leader, that would be the two things that I would recommend is be present with your team and figure out a way to not be the chief problem solver. Is there anything that sales leaders should be measuring in the process of like all the activities? Like you said, being, being present, but is that enough? Are there metrics that we should be looking at as sales leaders to, to know that they're being effective? Absolutely. And, and, and this might be company specific, but if you put enough, enough activity at the top of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel is going to be good. The, the orders and the revenue is going to come out. And if you have a revenue problem, a lot of times it's the top of the funnel that, that you have the problem. So the number of calls that you make that are prospecting calls, the number of appointments that you get, the number of meetings you have, the number of prospecting emails that you send out, the intentional usage of the you know, social platforms like LinkedIn and spending some time in that, just a holistic approach to prospecting, create some metrics around that, and then hold your people accountable. Here's the thing. As a leader, you have expectations of what you want your team to do. And so often, they don't really go back and look at that. You have to inspect what you expect. And you have to question everything too. You have, if they say that they did 40 calls, do you have a way to track that? Did they really do 40 calls? What is the metric that shows that they did 40 calls? Or did they just spitball it and say, it felt like I did 40 calls today? We can't be delusional and successful at the same time as sales reps. So it's important that you inspect what you expect. Tracking the core metrics is a big deal. When you can get down into the details as a leader, it feels like you're micromanaging. There's that M word, micromanaging. But really, you're not. You're just simply expecting certain things out of your sales team. And if you never go back and double check that, they're not going to do it. It's real simple. So inspect what you expect, set some hard and fast numbers, 
And then lastly, we talk about put a stake in the ground. So I'm working with a company right now where, where their sales team does an amazing job of converting. When they get an appointment, they convert at such a high rate. They're just not getting enough appointments. So we've actually assigned a couple of appointment setters for them. And my suggestion to that leader was put your stake in the ground. Only focus focus for the entire month on appointments, driving appointments, driving appointments, driving appointments every single day. When you put it top of your mind to your team like that, they start to shift their culture. And we know that if you're having appointments with the, because of their conversion rates, we're going to increase our sales. So make it simple and inspect what you expect. We had started the conversation. Ryan asked you about cold calling. Is it dead? Is it not dead? And you you made the case that it's it's not dead. But the reality is we live in this this time where there's so many tools and, and technology. And sometimes it's distracting. It's overwhelming. Honestly, it can paralyze us at times. We could spend all day on LinkedIn, for example, just prospecting versus picking up the phone. So... I'm curious if you are anti-technology and some of these sales tools that we could use, or if you feel like it's a nice pairing between cold calling that salespeople can actually use some of these to be really, really effective. I love technology. And teams that don't use technology as a whole typically don't do as good of a job as they can do. I think the problem now is that so many sales teams and leaders have salespeople that aren't doing the basics right. So here we are in in spring training for baseball. And in spring training for baseball, you, your, your outfielders learn how to recatch the ball and, and they learn some certain things about their swing that they're all focused on the absolute basics, the core things that they need to be doing so that they can prepare themselves for their season. And if we don't have those things as salespeople, if we don't have those things in place, if we don't have the basic metrics of what the expectations are, if we don't know how to make calls, if we don't know how to create good prospecting emails, then all the tools in the world aren't going to help us because we're not good as salespeople. I talk to so many technology companies. We have a lot of great partners out there. And one of the biggest frustrations they have is their solution works, but the salespeople that they're selling it to are not good. And so therefore, they're being measured. The wink link in that is the salespeople. There's a lot of great salespeople out there. Don't get me wrong. But if you just throw tools at, a, at an inadequate sales team, you're going to get the same results and just spend more money on stuff that nobody's using right. It seems to me like you, you like to keep things pretty simple. Any like, do you recommend a tech stack for a sales professional? I mean, absolutely. So it, for instance, your CRM tool is, is huge. And mm-hmm. so many salespeople hate working with the CRM tool because it feels tedious and it feels like Big Brother's watching. But if we go out and 80% of what we do is learning about prospects and learning about our customers, and we don't record that in Salesforce, it's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog mm-hmm. Day every single day. And, and, it, and it aggravates our customers and our prospects. Because if we come back and ask the same questions over and over, they start to think, you know, this dude's not even listening to me. Why should I spend money with them? They don't care enough to write stuff down that I tell them. So the CRM is absolutely a critical tool. And, and there's some great email tools out there too that can track your effectiveness of, of you know, your subject lines. What's the open rate? What's the, are people opening it? And, and there's some great tools out there that show when people open it. So there's a lot of different tools out there that can really organize sequences 
and it can it can create touch points for salespeople. But if we're not doing the core basic philosophy of getting on the phone and trying to talk to people and having that relationship or getting in person with appointments, then all the tools in the world aren't going to help us if we don't if we're not good at sales. I think that's a I think it's a fantastic uh, point you bring up there, Brad. When you talk about uh, the technology, if you throw a good tool at a at somebody who's already broken, you're not going to move them from middle of the pack or or a laggard into being an advanced user. So I th- I think it's really refreshing. And as you're talking, there was something you mentioned about that I think is why cold calling is hearkened as dead, and that is because everything about the call has been cold in the past. And you're talking about here with, you know, Brandon, you're bringing up technology and we're talking about appointment setters and and prospecting. And I'm just asking myself this question as I'm listening to you talk, isn't it possible that what was always bad wasn't the calling itself? It wasn't the channel necessarily that we were on, but it was whether or not we were immersing ourselves in the prospect's shoes and developing compelling reasons for us to have engagement and interaction with one another. That's the real problem and why why sales development rep numbers are getting worse and worse by the year because we're watching them send us a cloned, templated, copied email that's mass distributed to our inboxes and LinkedIn tools that are just uh, are clueless about who we are that are inserting personalization tokens to make a connection and leave, a, leave an in-mail for us. I mean, isn't that the real problem? It's not the calling, it's the coldness. So we talk about the five things that your prospects and your customers are asking of you. And the first thing is, do I like you? And the second thing is, do you listen to me? And the third thing is, do you make me feel important? The fourth thing is, do you get me in my problems? And the last thing is, do I trust and believe you? And if you think about that, all of those are very emotional things. We Our buyer's journey is emotional before it gets to products, features, benefits, and logistics. Our journey is, is, is a lot of times to pitch products, features, benefits so that we can then build the relationship. And we're perpetually out of sync because of that. And to your point, if we're sounding like every other company out there, we're not disrupting that pattern. We're sounding the same. We're sounding boring. We're not getting that prospect's attention. And because of that, we're not able to build that relationship. It, it, it's almost impossible to build a relationship with just the written word, with just an email. And so many people are afraid to get out of email and have a conversation. But yet, for someone to truly connect with you as a as a customer, you have to have that relationship. You have to connect with them emotionally And the best way to do that, of course, is in person. The second best way to do that is through a video call. And the third way to do that is through a phone call. It's really tough with the written words. So it it feels sort of sterile and and, and generic and and, and not interactive if we can't ever get to that relationship building channel. So I I would agree with what you said. Well, if if I may, it sounds like what what you're continuing to just want to thread this needle a little bit more. But Brad... What you're talking about here, you said something, you just said something so compelling. You said that people are being afraid to get into conversations. And what I would, I would theorize is that they're not so much afraid of having conversations. They're afraid of being rejected. It's a hard enough thing for any person to be rejected. Being in sales uh, doesn't necessarily mean that one of your requirements is that you enjoy rejection or that uh, some will, some won't. So what next? Everybody. It sounds like 
what you're advocating for is this kind of harmonious approach. Let me see if I'm getting it. We're utilizing some tool that's going to reveal a person's contact information. We're making some efforts to identify what that person would be uh, inclined towards. How could we add value to John Doe? How could we add value to Jane Doe? What are some of the things that we could speak to or speak about that would at least get a conversation going? And then with that in mind, doing a reach out that seeks to add value and to do it in the most in-person way possible, whether that's literally in person with them or on a video call, either it's a Vineyard video or it's a Zoom call, and at worst, then doing it on, a, on the phone, but seeking to have human interactions where the salesperson has enough acumen and enough EQ that they think to themselves, I can sense where I can add value, and I'm going to try to bring that value. And that if that's the heart and soul of the person who's selling, and that's the process they're following, then what we find is probability goes up and win rates go up. Is that kind of what we're saying kind of as we pull it together? That, that's absolutely what we're saying. And I, I, I can't really get into this fully because it's, it's like an hour long session, but at the core of rejection, our, our brains are, were designed you know, thousands of years ago. And one of the worst things that could happen to a human being is that they would be banished from their cave or banished from their city. And that is the worst kind of rejection because you died, it was embarrassing, it was slow and painful. And over time, that's been baked into our DNA that rejection feels like death. And of course, if a prospect rejects us now, we don't die. Or if a customer tells us no, we don't die. But that, that is built into our brains. And that's why rejection feels so horrible and we completely abhor rejection. But in reality, obviously it doesn't kill us. We just kind of need to understand why our bodies feel that way and then come up with some with some you know turnaround frameworks that we can get those you know, those rejections turned around. So we don't need to fear rejection. It it it's primal. It's like standing up in front of people. It, it's something that that we can't help because our brains are wired that way, but we can prepare for it when we when we expect it and we know it's coming. And then to your point, we have to use the best relationship connectivity channel, whatever you want to call it, so that we can get in front of prospects and start building that emotional relationship so that we can actually win a deal with the product's features logic. Excellent. I really do appreciate you, uh, you clarifying that. And as I think about that all coming together, one of the things that it makes me think about is, well, then what role does marketing play? And so I, I imagine that if you had, uh, as you do, you, you had these training sessions and that those training sessions probably for the most part include just the sales team. If we were to, if we were to have a word to say to marketing, you know, what, what would it be? What, what is the most effective role uh, marketing could play? Or, or is, that the, is that the right question to ask? That, that's a great question to ask. And, and uh, you know, to your point, this is probably going to be something that feels overly simple. Again, I have a customer that I was working with at the in Q4 of last year, and I was talking to their marketing people, and they were so focused on a sales qualified lead that they are marketing qualified lead or just, just just qualification that they would invite someone to a webinar. And if that person attended a 45 minute webinar, which was a which was a, you know, a, a glorious demo pitch about the solutions that they could that they could provide. 
then they might send them some white papers. And if they downloaded those white papers and spent, you know, 5.7 minutes on the website, then they would point that lead to the salesperson. Hmm. And I I was like, dude, if someone signs up for a webinar, I want the human being's name because I can convert them. I can get a discovery call. So, so I literally, I've trained thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. And I had one person in June of 2017. I mean, it stands out to me. And she said, no, I, I have enough leads from marketing. Okay, but, you know, but the leads aren't any good, are they? No, they're, they're actually really good. But to my point, every salesperson out there doesn't have enough leads and the leads suck from marketing. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that's just not the case. The better leads you get, the less we want to try to work. We want to try to get the, 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 the lowest hanging fruit off the table. So marketing's job to me is, is to create interest, to, to brand the company, to create familiarity and to get names and numbers. And from there, it's my job. There's so many times people hit all those buckets and all those white papers and they raise their hand and say, please, please, I want to call. And five minutes later, you call them back and you say, hey, this is Brad calling from company X. I saw that you were interested in speaking with me. Oh, I'm just not interested. It's just crazy. But but what happens is we've interrupted. That person is still a stranger to us. We've interrupted their day and they're doing something. They're firing somebody. They're hiring somebody. They're you know, they're, they're helping to load the truck in the warehouse because some of their warehouse people called in sick because everybody's got the flu. I mean, who knows what's going on in their days, but it has nothing to do with they're not interested. It just has to do with the fact that you've interrupted their day. And then the feedback from the salespeople is, wow, those leads were terrible. Marketing needs to just get us names and numbers to call. And as salespeople, we need to do our job of, of creating interest and appointments. So it sounds like it needs to be a team. It needs to be a team job. We need to have a single team that's team that's unified and people can't be pointing fingers at one another. We need to, we need to start with the end in mind. If the end in mind is get sales folks more opportunities to have a human engagement with a, a qualified prospect and we work our way back, then we're not going to have all these layers of steps and lead scoring that needs to take place. But I have this feeling, Brad, and Brandon may have a word for this, but inside of that context where a sales rep is constantly complaining that the leads are no good. You end up using these technology tools as a marketer to overly qualify a prospect. And you end up putting all this pressure that I can't, you know, I'm measured as a marketer by how the sales rep talks about me in the same way that the CRM is measured in the way that the sales rep talks about me. Both are measured in their effectiveness based on the opinion of the sales rep. But we've just gotten through this whole uh, podcast episode where we're realizing that, but that, that when a sales rep says something, it isn't necessarily gospel. Sometimes you've got to be a good salesperson so that you see that a lead that comes out of a webinar is good enough for you to call on and that it doesn't have to go through 47 steps of nurturing and a, a lead score and all this other algorithm before a human is able to engage with them. I think everybody needs to work together as opposed to fighting against one another and blame shifting for the failures that occur inside of sales and inside of marketing. Everybody needs to take a step, take a step up. Yeah. The, the strongest teams that I've seen are marketing teams and sales teams working collaboratively together to make the holistic process better. And when it becomes a competition or when it becomes finger pointing, that's always tough. 
And, and, you know, marketing can do a better job. They can get more leads. Sales can do a better job of converting more leads. Marketing can focus on areas where our accounts are more qualified and fit our average profile. But working together, I, I love your point. Working together is, is just so huge. And, and we've got to be able to work together so we can make the holistic, you know, revenue generation process better. Brad, I think that was so well put. And honestly, like just hearing you talk, I'm learning a ton hearing you talk about how marketing's job is really just to get interest, engagement, get phone numbers, names, email addresses, and then literally get it over to the salespeople. I, I know I can get better at that as a, as a marketer. And I hope people listening will take that advice as well because I think it's it's so key. As, as you know, sales professionals, they say, oh, marketing's not giving us anything good. But I think the, the alignment between those two teams are so important. And I appreciate you coming on and talking about that because I think uh, a lot of people are going to learn from from this. So thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me today. It's uh, it's It has been a great show and this doesn't have to be the end of it. So if you've been listening today, I, I think it's important for you to hear this next part. So Brad, I want to ask you, where is it uh, that somebody can come and get more engagement with you? Where can they, they can hear you where can they talk to you? How, how do they get more access to what it is that you've talked about here today? So I'm going to be at the Pace PEO conference and we're going to be teaching a leadership EQ. That's going to be the first week of May. So that I'm really excited to be a part of that again. It's a wonderful group and can't wait to uh, continue building my relationship with you guys with, with Pace. And uh, secondly, uh, Jeb Blunt, who is our you know, my CEO and, and the founder of Sales Gravy and the best-selling author with 11 books in print, is combining with with so many other best-selling authors, Mike Weinberg, Mark Hunter, Anthony Annarino, Jeffrey Gittermore, and the name just the list goes on and on and on. And we're putting on an what we it's called Outbound. It's it, and it, the website is outboundconference.com. It, there's going to be it's the biggest baddest outbound sales conference out there. It's just an incredible three day event, two days of of you know, keynotes and training from the stage and one day of breakouts where we can get into a little bit more intimate groups. Uh, I've got some some great sponsors for the event that are going to be speaking. And uh, the, the thing that's so cool about that event is, is we don't, we, we the, you cannot buy the microphone from us. A lot of these events are, you know, people pay for the opportunity to do a keynote, to do a pitch slap about their product. And that's absolutely not the case with Outbound. It, it is sales training and your sales team will come away fired up and invigorated. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. It was absolutely fantastic. I know everybody got a lot out of it. It was a, it was a really good show. So Brandon, I think today was just one of the best shows that we've done. And I'm just, uh, I'm so pumped up. All I want to do right now is just start getting on the phone and calling this list of uh, accounts that I know I've been, uh, been sitting on in my prospecting list. That, that's where I'm at. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I learned a lot from this. And I, what I loved about this in particular is that you and I weren't alone just talking, which I always love our episodes together. But having a guest who's an expert in, it, in an area that I'm not really privy to, that was really important. But more importantly, the, the sales and marketing alignment. I'm coming from this, the marketing side. And the alignment is huge. And realizing that the teams need to work together to, to produce results. And that's really what I took away from this episode. Really appreciate Brad for coming on. Love this episode. I think one of the big takeaways for me is that you have to inspect what you expect, uh, that you've got to make sure that you understand that you're interrupting people's lives. 
and that that is something that people will avoid. So if you want results, you're going to make sure that you are tracking the activity. So that I think was uh, was a major highlight for me as well. This is a great show, indeed. Yeah, and so that that really does it for our show. So for for listeners, you have to go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube. You can find us there. You can follow us on LinkedIn at the HRO Grow Show. And what we would love from you as a as another call to action besides attending the Pace Conference is to go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five star review and leave us a review as well. We want to grow this show. We want to help as many people as we possibly can. We would appreciate the review. Thanks for joining us this time. Ryan, always a great pleasure talking with you. Had a lot of fun today. Loved it. Loved it. Thank you all for joining and we'll see you next time.